There was once a man who lived a very long time ago, and uh, he's still alive today because he was born a long time ago, and his name is Bernie Sanders, and he's going to be the president, I think. I kind of thought you were going to say there once was a man from Nantucket. (laughs) (laughs) I actually didn't know what to say, Um, and, you know... <laughs> That's a what I should have led with. Um, we have a poet in our midst. We have today, another everybody. guest. We have another guest on the podcast. Uh, our friend Jason Thompson, all the way from Los Angeles, uh, is with us today. Jace, how are you, my friend? Doing much better now that I see your beautiful faces You're and so hear your lovely voices. You. Yeah, that's very sweet of you. Um, so yeah, it's episode twenty-six here at the Happily Opinionated Podcast. We're Super psyched about this week. We have um, Jason on who does a lot of things, but I think the the number one thing he does is he thinks a lot and he has a lot of good, interesting takes. And this episode is derived from a Facebook post I read of his last week. And I said, man, this would be a really good topic on our podcast. Let's do that. And then four texts later, we're in like a couple of that like a couple of. Like a couple of old old hats in a bucket. That's what we were like. Well, I was promised <laughs> happily opinionated merch, and that's the mainly the, that's the only reason I said yes. Well, you requested an item we don't yet have, yes. a thong, mm-hmm. a happily opinionated thong. Yep. So mm-hmm. we have to have that specially made. Or ban- but... uh, the banana hammock that would also be acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> your choice. And Pretty sure we'll have I should be your new made. marketing person. Pretty sure. Uh, yeah, we have a great we have a budget for that, which we can talk about after the podcast. Um, so yeah, so as typical, all podcasts start with us describing what we're drinking today. So with the guest, we'd like to let the guest go first. So Jason, what's on the old docket for your, uh, taste buds this evening? Well, I am enjoying, um, Woodford Reserve, Kentucky straight bourbon. Uh, I am drinking it out of a Star Trek Spock glass. (laughs) And... You know, it's sort of like we're taking communion. It's like power communion. So mm-hmm. I think that yeah. this podcast hopefully will get more slappy and ridiculous as we go on. There's a really good chance of that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Definitely. Because right now we have two bottles on the table. Yeah. What are you guys drinking? Yeah. And one of them is a leader. Yep. Whoa. Yikes. And one of them is a follower. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's called a dad joke. Dad joke. Uh, yeah. Adam is I getting old, jokes. so he's starting to get really good at dad jokes. I'm very good at him. Um, so we opened a white earlier today because I was cooking pasta and I needed it for my sauce, but then I was being pretty bougie about my wine and I was like, I don't want to drink white wine the rest of the night. <laughs> so I opened also a bottle of red. <laughs> oh, so you needed it for um, your sauce and now you need it to get sauced. Now I need the red. Hey, mm-hmm. yeah, Live the, your life, the, man. Be free. the white was the white was for the sauce and the red will get me sauced. Um, so I haven't had this one before. It's from Leon and son. It's a leader and it's a blend. It's a ganache. Oh, no, it's a garanasha. Mm-hmm. I don't know mm. what that is. 
I don't know what the wine is I'm drinking most of the time. Um, <laughs> as long as it, it goes actually down just says, it. Yeah, it just says red wine, actually. I kind of feel like it's blend. But anyways, it's Probably a Spanish is. wine. It's a little on the sweeter side. It's not my favorite, but um, it's light in color. It's like medium body. It's smooth, but it has like a little bit of sweetness, uh, a little more sugar forward. Not my favorite, um, but for anybody that likes a little bit sweeter of a red, this one would be a good choice. We'll link nice. it in the show notes. Yeah. And I'm drinking the white right now, which is a La, oh man. a La, Cam... <laughs> La Campanera, which is from Falagena, which I believe is, um, if, my, if my Spanish words serve me, I believe that's somewhere in Central America, but it's from New York, but it's from somewhere in Central America. I like it though. It's a nice white. It's got a, it's got like a little goat uh-huh. uh, on the label. It's cute. It is a nice white. I had some of that earlier too. Yeah. That one's tasty. It's you guys are even happily oh, it's from Italy. You guys are even happily opinionated about your, your drinks. And I, I, I know. You're very consistent here on this. We podcast. really, we really embody the brand Jace, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and this is, if you become a marketing director, this is something you're going to have to really understand about us. Man, you guys are so freaking on brand. It's. It's like the job does itself almost marketing. Exactly. The fortunate <laughs> thing is you do have to tell about wines, but you don't have to have any knowledge of said wine. Exactly. Just, mm-hmm. You know, roll with it. You don't even have to be able to, to pronounce mm-hmm. the name as you've, as you've seen. Yes. You don't have to know it, what wine it is. It Nothing. Is, uh, is a significant portion of your listener base uh, sommeliers? Because if not, then uh, one is for sure. Oh, yeah. But but he owns the shop that we get our wines from, so I think he gives us a pass because yeah, we're like, we'll come back and buy twelve more wines again in a few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like so we next get a week, like twelve wines a week is where we're basically at. Mm-hmm. That's um, this wine is from Italy, not Central America. So <laughs> <laughs> this Italian knows what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. All right, well let's jump in. Um, okay, so. This Facebook post that you did, you've done a, a lot of Facebook posts in your day, as have I, and um, I've always appreciated about you, Jason, is we've, we've sat across from each other at bars and in your living room just a couple of weeks ago, actually, when I was out there and, um, you know, all over the world, really, when we've hung out and seen each other, I've always appreciated that you're able to see the other side's opinion really well and try to articulate why, you know that you understand but why we're not as far off as people might think. Cause you and I have never have not always agreed on everything out of eye, but I've always left conversations with you feeling encouraged and inspired and motivated to really do more research and learn more about um, topics that I care about. So having said that, I read this post and you talked about how um, progressives and conservatives agree on a lot of the same topics specifically around socialism and abortion. And I thought it was really, really interesting. And so I wanted to focus today, we, we could talk about a wide range of topics uh, that this covers, but I really wanted to ta- start with the socialism because it's something that we hear a lot about. And um, I'd love to hear kind of, uh, I just would love to hear your take on kind of where we're at today, some misnomers on what socialism is. Um, but more importantly, you know, the similarities that you see between different viewpoints and where they kind of overlap. And I would not be upset if you kind of gave a 30 second overview of who you are, what you do and why this stuff is interesting to you. Yeah. I think the reason I have a strange hybrid view and can see both sides and I'm more interested if you do a Venn diagram of my views and other people's views, we've sort of been just conditioned to 
expect the worst of, of each other or hold in mind a caricature of the other person's views. And that's what we're engaging with rather than the actual views that that person holds. And I think one reason I'm interested in focusing on the overlapping part of the Venn diagram rather than the non-overlapping parts mm -hmm. is that I, hopefully your listeners won't dismiss me out of hand because I'm a coastal elite or something. I live in LA, but I grew up uh, mostly in Colorado. My parents are missionaries. I was very involved in ministry and church and after college actually moved here to Southern California to go to seminary and be clergy. So I was a pastor yeah. for a little mm -hmm. while and have really been thoroughly reconsidering and examining systematically reviewing my worldview, including my political views. And that's going to keep going until I die. Um, yeah. And that's why I think I, I, am comfortable with people on both sides, but there are some things on both sides. Um, if you're talking about progressives and conservatives, there are some things that are going to be sticking points, but that's why this last post that I did that you read, it sounds absurd to say that conservatives and progressives actually are pretty much on the same page about socialism and even abortion. Um, yeah, it sounds like just the dumbest thing you could. But I broke it down, and I, I really do think that mm -hmm. uh, we don't have to talk about abortion in this exchange here, if you don't want to. But we've talked comes... about it several yeah. times before yeah. on the podcast, so we could. We should drink a lot more and then talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you guys both just took a drink at the same time. It's really funny. Um, He's got water at least. Yeah, I think that I want you to continue but yeah. just in regards to if we talk about abortion or not I'm we've good talked way. about it we've talked about it several times we're good either way as well the thing is i understand it's a sensitive issue and people get really heated but it is an actual issue that we we can never go a day without debating yeah like we have to find some sort of common ground on this issue so mm -hmm. i'm always fine talking about yeah. it and i would identify as a progressive um and whenever i have potentially testy exchanges with non-progressives or conservatives, um, they usually end up disarmed and feeling like we have a lot more in common than they felt at the beginning of the conversation. And that's very confusing to people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But totally. it's only possible if you have lived for literal decades of your life inside that worldview Yeah, and then stepped out of it and have a, an appreciation and a respect for those traditions that are an important part of my backstory and an important part of the lives and perspectives of so many people that I care about. So it's a worthwhile endeavor to figure out what we all think. And it's something that is very rarely done. Here's what mm -hmm. I mean by that. I think at the beginning of any productive exchange, you have to share your views and then repeat each other's views to each other. And if, my characterization of your perspective is just a total clown show version of it, then we're not ready to start talking yet. Um, until yeah. you have a version of it, of my view, that when you repeat it to me, I say, yep, that's that's pretty much it. Well, now we can start and vice versa. Um, so with socialism, uh, almost everyone who has objected to certain policy proposals certain movements, social movements, or 
specific political candidates and the grounds for their objections are socialism and i'll be like well but but why and but socialism it's just kind of this catch-all all-purpose um scare word um Mm -hmm. but really here's here's one of the first things that i ask someone who's got a core part of their political identity is opposing socialism because that's a central tenet of their worldview i simply ask can you define that term for me right they never can partly because there are so many variants of socialism but the larger point made when i just ask them to define the term that is central to their whole political worldview and they can't it it sort of opens the door to like well maybe it's not socialism you're objecting to since you don't even know what that is but it's a way to sort of avoid intellectual accountability and to just dismiss something. And most people who aren't me who heard you say that wouldn't push back. And so it's a form of being intellectually lazy and basically um, it's, it's a way of characterizing another person's view that shows you don't really take it seriously or have any interest in understanding it. You just want to dismiss it as quickly as possible because that's a lot easier than going down a rabbit hole and learning new things and having to take somebody seriously who you aren't sure if you agree with. So I kind of try to dismantle all that and be like, well, if we're not actually talking about socialism, um, which we can't be since you don't even know what that means, what are we talking (laughs) about? And why did you invoke that pejorative? You're using it as a pejorative. well, usually it's just because they they are forming beliefs not in a rational way that involves any kind of careful assessment of actual ideas, but in an emotional way. Um, 1984 was written by George Orwell, and I posted some of his thoughts as well on online. And he said that's a real big central part of propaganda or effective disinformation campaigns is hijack people's ability to reason and get their amygdala fired up, get them scared, um, get them angry, and they will shut down those parts of their mind that would otherwise really help them critically evaluate things and make reliable Mm -hmm. conclusions. And instead, they're just knee-jerk all over the place. And that is a type of person, a type of voter um, that is pretty easy to manipulate. Um, And it's on both sides. There are... I'm not saying this is unique to any side or political party. It's just easy to get a rise out of people, tell them something sensational and crazy, even if it's not accurate, get them amped up, and then they're pretty compliant because they're not really thinking critically about stuff or really worried very much about personal responsibility either. So that's kind of why I'm like, socialism is not even a useful word anymore. It is thrown around so much it has lost all meaning. Um, one thing that I posted is this quote from Harry Truman from 1952, who basically he just said, look, socialism is a scare word that's been hurled at every advance that the people have made in the last 20 years. He lists a bunch of those advances and then just says, socialism is the other side's name for almost anything that helps the people. Yeah. Um, so if there's no interest in understanding the problems and you aren't even interested enough in 
this idea of socialism to bother learning what it is because we're in the information age. And if you can't look up and understand some basic things about various forms of socialism, well, then I don't think you're serious about talking about it. You just want to throw a Molotov cocktail into the conversation, demonize the other side, and then feel awesome because very few people have an adequate response to being accused of socialism, right? right. Here's the thing, though. Uh, the reason I made that post and when the central claim in my post uh, is that as a progressive, I entirely agree with conservatives uh, on their assessment of socialism. It's bad. Strict socialism, when properly defined, everybody agrees is a shit. We way. define strict. We define strict socialism just for the just for the terms here. Yeah, it's basically a socioeconomic uh, ideology that wants everybody to uh, wants the means of production to be owned by the people or by the government or by any group of people, and it downplays personal freedom, and it's just a. a very ineffective way um, of governing and leads to a lot of problems. And most of the examples of why socialism is bad are pretty obvious. Uh, sometimes there are examples like with Venezuela, where the collapse of that society had very little to do with their socialism and more to do with just rampant corruption that caused the whole government to implode. So that's kind of just a, it's just uh, lazy thinking. Um, so if we all agree that socialism, as properly defined, is not a great way to govern ourselves. Why are we talking about it so much? Um, what what social function is served by throwing the word around nonstop? Um, again, like Truman said, it, it's a really lazy way to just slap a label on something that you don't like or which uh, an arrangement like the New Deal or now we're talking about the Green New Deal um, or Medicare for All, where these are complex policy ideas and for people who don't want to examine them on their own merits and who are more interested in following the the mainstream thinking of whatever political identity that they have or in a lot of cases uh there are people who have a financial interest in maintaining the system we have and demonizing any idea to improve it uh, for people, because mm -hmm. if you start valuing profit over people, um, a lot of the people who are, you know, a lot of progressives are are saying, well, I think we should actually value people more than we currently do. And that's not to say that profit is bad. You and I, all three of us are small business owners. I'm mm -hmm. not saying any form of capitalism is bad, but unchecked capitalism is effectively the system we currently find ourselves in. And what's socialism canard kind of takes us in a different direction away from a much more productive exchange, which would be about let's evaluate together our current system, which there is no way to uh, meaningfully or honestly say works for everybody or is humane or really is a sustainable way to live and treat each other yeah. and govern ourselves. So we can talk in a little bit about just the, profound brokenness of our society, but it's effectively capitalism with no checks and balances, with no rules. Now, we all drive a lot, out on, especially here in LA. It's like just everybody's driving all the time. But there's a lot of 
there are a lot of parameters that dictate how we should drive. Uh, there are lines painted all over the roads. There's signs everywhere, speed limits. We hire people called cops to make sure that we are not violating all these rules we have to learn before we're allowed to drive. There's street lights, all this stuff. If you, if you effectively said, well, I want to drive, but with no boundaries, I don't want to have any kind of uh, guardrails. I don't want, it, it would be chaos. And the vehicular death rate would skyrocket. That is why it's good to have meaningful boundaries and guidelines. In the same way, unchecked capitalism just, it, it, it's, capitalism is designed to generate profit. That's it. It has no moral center. It's not thinking about anything but profit. Capital. It's not thinking about labor, the people who generate capital. And I think it's the tension between capital and labor that creates a healthy system. Um, you heard this whole, the term catfishing mm -hmm. um, yeah. is kind of, it's related to this idea that um, when huge tankers full of carp would be shipped across the ocean, by the time it, it, the ship got to its destination, the carp were just mushy and inedible and just useless. But somebody figured out if you throw a few catfish in there with them to antagonize them and nip at them, they stay very healthy and lean and strong and are much in much better shape by the time they get to their destination. So it's, it's, there is a, it's the same with like working out. If you don't move your body, it turns to mush. If you do resistance and strength training, it builds itself and stays strong in the same way, a society where they, it's totally dominated by capital or totally dominated by labor, which is really strict socialism. Uh, it doesn't work. It's not sustainable, it turns to mush. Uh, it, you need a healthy tension between the two for you to have a functional economy and society at large. Everybody's got to be taken care of. Everybody has to have a chance to earn a livable wage. And it's not that business owners and capitalists can't earn money. It's that there have to be boundaries. Same as with driving. Um, otherwise, it's just chaos and leads to market crashes and all kinds of things. I mean... A lot of wars also start because an economic system is just totally unsustainable, brutalizes everybody, and very predictably implodes, and the shit goes down. So Okay, so let's go back for a minute. Here's my question for you. When you're having these conversations with conservatives, and you're talking about socialism, I feel like inevitably what you're going to get into is redistribution of wealth. And people's fear of what that will look like. What do you say when people start talking about the thing that I am really trying to avoid is that, you know, my wealth, the thing that I've built, because I'm doing just fine where I'm at. Mm -hmm. I don't want that to be taken from me. Of course. If you want what I have, you have to do it yourself, just like I had to do it myself. Mm -hmm. What do you say to that? Because the thing that... um Adam and I come across all the time is that there's so many like rural parts of the Midwest and people aren't exposed to a lot of variation in lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So they don't see the need to redistribute any wealth. Right. Everybody around them is sort of in the same socioeconomic class and does very similar types of work. So for them, they're like, why do I need to share what do you say in that case? Because I feel like, at least with a lot of the people that, that 
I interact with, Mm -hmm. that's one of the biggest fears about socialism. For sure. So the accusation of socialism then in those cases that you're talking about has more to do with fear of losing what you already have uh, and to the total exclusion of any thought given to the welfare of your your fellows, your fellow citizens. Um, There is something called the social compact, the greater good. And I would say we are all responsible for paying attention to that and working to improve it. I would also say that most of those people who you're talking about, somehow um, other forms of socialism are just not on their radar. Here's what I'm talking about. Martin Luther King Jr. said, this country has socialism for the rich and rugged individualism for the poor. So when certain tariffs and policy decisions lead to economic ruin for sectors of the society, like more recently farmers, and those farmers are bailed out on a massive scale uh, with an amount of money that could have paid off all student loan, for example, could have been used for Mm -hmm. something else. Uh, Why do those same people you're talking about not bat an eye? Why is this form of socialism not show up on their radar? Or when they get a, a GoFundMe uh, notification from a friend of theirs who's struggling to pay their medical bills and they contribute it, they contribute to it. In other words, pooling our resources to help take care of each other. Mm-hmm. Why is that not on their radar? Why does that not send off, you know, set off all these alarm bells in their head about like, oh, you're taking from me or this is socialism or what is it? No, they just, it because it's someone they know, they don't think twice about it. Mm-hmm. It's this nameless kind of other, this hypothetical person that has, in your mind, not worked hard for what they have or something. Um, and it's all a pretty misguided uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, at least 22 studies currently are showing that the idea of Medicare for all would save a profound amount of money. Um, you guys own a house, you have a mortgage, right? Mm-hmm. What would imagine this scenario with me? If your mortgage lender called you up and said, Hey, weird news, some very generous people decided to make a huge dent in your housing debt, your, your loan, and it was cut in half the amount you owe and your monthly payments now are cut in half. If you were to respond to this news by screaming, how are we going to pay for that? How do you expect me to afford that? It would be very confusing and disingenuous. The loan officer would probably, I think you're not understanding. Uh, it's cheaper now. You get the mm-hmm. same stuff, keep your house, but you pay half as much. Yeah. This is what how absurd that reaction to healthcare improvements sounds to people who understand what is being proposed instead of attacking a straw man or a red herring. That is not actually what anyone is proposing. Um, we're talking about social programs that exist, Medicare, and we're just talking about improving it and expanding it. So if the current system includes Medicare and your friend you're talking to is satisfied that that doesn't make us a socialist country, then mm-hmm. why would expanding it and improving it make us socialist? Um, is there some line in the sand beyond which, oh, shit, now we're socialists, all of us. Um, and it's frustrating that, you know, the lawmakers who 
have healthcare because our tax money that we have pooled pays for them to have healthcare, they then legislate in such a way to deny us the same effective way of taking care of ourselves. Where we want to pay a vast majority of Americans and even a majority of Republicans are in favor of pooling our resources so that everybody can have better health care. If it's a majority view that this is what would be good. And again, if you look at all these other countries that have already figured out how to do this, I mean, I would ask them, are you saying America is not strong enough or great enough or wealthy enough to do what all these other places have pulled off? Like what? Literally why? everybody else is doing. Yeah. So it's, I, a, it's again, a fear-based knee-jerk yeah. reaction. And I think too, with, with the topic of healthcare, what's disingenuous is a lot of, um, you know, a lot of right or conservative sources only talk about your taxes really going up, but what's not talked about is how much, how much less you'll pay towards your healthcare. Right. Um, and what does that some, like someone did a study and she looked at her 2019 and she said, I paid $16,000 out of pocket after all of my, that's not even including her deductibles, right. like all, her monthly payment. And then she's like, if my if my taxes go up by three thousand dollars, and I don't pay any of my deduct any of my monthly payments or sixteen thousand dollars because she had some major operation, she's right. like, I would be I would be like plus twenty two thousand dollars. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, but but we don't talk about that, or that's right. not talked about. All it says is your tax like your taxes are going to go up big time. So and they don't talk about the other side. Let's say there is a complex equation by which we determine how much each of us is paying for healthcare each year. To zoom in on just one variable and pretend that that one variable represents the entire equation is just intellectual malpractice. That's totally dishonest. So I am paying about $15,000 a year, all in, out of pocket, to insure my family of four when we're all healthy. So that's mm-hmm. just monthly insurance payments and then co-pays prescription Mm -hmm. drugs, all that. And that is not including the tax money I pay to help insure other people. I'm paying into Medicare and Medicaid, right? Right. When I pay taxes. So if you add all of it up, it's probably around $20,000 a year that I'm paying in total for my healthcare and for other people's healthcare. Whether, what proportion of that is paid in the, towards taxes versus out-of-pocket versus prescriptions is really irrelevant. To zoom in on any of those and pretend that that's the only important variable is not honest. So if a greater proportion of my total cost is taxes, but the total cost is dramatically lower, that's the only thing that's important is that I'm saving money and getting better health care. That's all that most Americans care about. And that's part of the Venn diagram between progressives and conservatives. Yeah, we all want that. We all want yeah. to take mm-hmm. care of our aging parents. We all want um, our representatives to have health care. We all want our veterans to have health care and active duty members to have health care. So why, if those are good things for all of those groups of people, why would it not also benefit the rest of us who are struggling to pay for all this? Mm-hmm. Also, uh, the argument, too, would, could be that we don't talk about this either. Or this isn't talked about, but a healthier economy is a stronger economy. And if the, if the workers are healthy, you mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah, like if, if people population. have access to healthcare and preventative care, um, that could relate to actually more income and a more, and a more, uh, 
you know, profitable to use a capitalist word, a more yeah. profitable experience for everybody. The same thing too, is I, I've had this argument before back at my King's days when I was the only yeah. non-conservative, <laughs> your brother, Timmy included for a, for a hot minute there um, in our economics class. And this came up. So they would bring socialism up all the time. Right. As one of my professors told me I was a socialist raised by communist. Yeah. When I was like, cause I spent like a summer in East St. Louis and I saw firsthand that we don't all start in the same spot like there or because you just didn't blindly agree with whatever was yeah, shoved down that was your throat a, that was another he <laughs> they flew this guy up from alabama every week to do an economics class yeah. and, and so did you feel in that moment when he said that and he leveled that accusation at you that he was doing it to shut down the conversation and crush dissent or because he understood what those terms meant and was making yeah. an actual sustained coherent target. I mean, it's obvious. Yeah, he but... couldn't. Yeah, it's completely obvious. And, and there was a class of like, it was like the biggest class at King's, like 88 kids. And he was trying to also embarrass me and yeah. get me to shut up that way. And I just didn't care. Um, well, that, anyway, impulse, that impulse is no different when you're in the comments section on Twitter. Yeah, that's fair. just want to be a dick and throw something at someone that most people don't know how to throw back. Yeah. Or to catch and neutralize and say, let's talk about real things um because i i really would i don't think we should focus on the definition of various incarnations of socialism because we already agree from the limited definitions we've discussed that we're, none of us are on that same page so we have social services um public education we think it's important that our kids can go to school and learn some stuff and that's worth pooling our resources yeah. to make it happen well, that, right well that's what i was gonna that's what i was saying in that class just just to just to yeah. just close that thought was like he was talking about healthcare for all and how it was a socialist idea and it would never be because this was like right before obama like obama was campaigning right mm -hmm. and i said well does it sound crazy to you to anybody in this room that we would have to every parent have to figure out a way to pay for their kids to go to school every person um and, you know, or people like us that send our kids to private school, all three of us do, mm -hmm. and we still pay public school taxes, right? But is it, is it crazy to think about that everybody would send their kids, have to pay for their kids' education? And people, right. and he, people were like, yeah, that's, that doesn't, and this is my argument every time. I go, I don't see healthcare and public education as a different thing. They're both rights, right? Education is a They're right. Healthcare is a right. They're but the, the, yeah. people in this country, the idea that we would wake up tomorrow morning and you have to literally pay, everybody would have to pay tuition. Right. People would lose their minds. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. They would lose their damn minds. Well, and there's the no, in my mind, there's no people. And that's the same idea. Send their kids no, to they wouldn't be able to send their kids to school. And we would have a really unhealthy, which we don't even have that great of an academic situation anyway yeah. in this country. But, you know, my, my point is, is that like when you take the terms and you just switch out X for Y, it's not socialism. Totally. And in this argument, there's it's the exact same thing. We're just talking about two different concepts right. or two different um, industry. But I think like people feel okay with it to a certain degree because it's like if you walk into an ER, they have to service you and treat you. They don't have a choice whether they get mm -hmm. that money or not. And so people will say it's, you know, they don't, well, you know, these people who can't afford it, they just don't pay their bill, mm -hmm. but they still can get medical service. And it's like, well, we can't just stop the conversation at this point like that bill follows you around the rest yeah. of your life it, it affects you in so many ways yeah. that's not fair either to just strap people with a bill that they can never pay that will continue to affect them in negative ways yeah well and, it's uh, around half the people who have cancer um, and go through treatment end up 
declaring bankruptcy because of it. Right. Um, that's crazy. And, that's and such a that's crazy with, and, that's and, and that's even with insurance half the time. Right. It is. And I mean, of that of that 50% that declare bankruptcy, I'd be curious how many have insurance. A lot of them do. Most of them. And the people who don't go bankrupt are are fucked for years. I mean, I a couple months ago had my very first and hopefully last kidney stone. I was in the ER <laughs> for a few hours and the entire visit cost $2,000. On top of all the money I already spend, and that's right. I have insurance. Um, every, a majority of Americans are one medical emergency away from financial ruin. This is not a system that works for anybody, and most of the people who would identify as conservatives are in the same boat. We have the same values. What What are we really talking about? We're not yeah. actually talking about socialism, even though you're using that word. Uh, we're yeah. not talking about flipping a switch and fully adopting some scary ideology. We are not talking about that. We all recognize and pay into public goods like education, like uh, Medicare and Medicaid to take care of our aging parents and grandparents, uh, like having roads that are drivable, um, et cetera, et cetera. We all recognize these social goods. Um, it's just a matter of how good or bad we want them to be and how far we want to extend them. So right now, I think very few conservative people would say that us pooling our resources so that our kids can go to elementary school, and get a decent education so that our country can be economically competitive on the world stage. No one would object to that. Mm -hmm. And if I asked a conservative person who, like me, thinks that's a great idea, and I said, well, why do you think it's good? Um, their answer for why it's good to send young kids to school for free and pool our resources to make that happen is the exact same answer I would give for why we should extend that to public universities. Yeah. Well, same logic, exact same answer, same reason for why it's, it's the same public good. It's mm -hmm. public education. It's just improving it and extending it. So is there some line in the sand where, uh, well, paying for K through 12, pooling our resources for that, that's fine. But if you also pay for public college, that all of a sudden we're in socialism territory. We've lost our identity as America. Uh, no, that's... I mean, I mean, when a team like the Yankees want to build a stadium and the city of New York finances 65% of it, mm -hmm with tax dollars and yet right. the owners of the stadium still own the stadium. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. crazy. And they have to do like, they have, like they have stipulations, like three games a year, you have to give away 300 free tickets, something right. like that. Right. It's like right. nothing. But, but imagine that, imagine building a home or building a business and saying like the government's going to spend 70% of the pay for 70% of it. And I still get to collect all the re revenue from it because it's yep. going to make my area better. Right. It's and, that's socialism. Well, that's, isn't that Trump is socialism. essentially uh, doing that? <laughs> So, uh, mm -hmm. social, MLK quote, socialism for the rich, rugged individualism for the poor. There are right. so many, and you know, I, I guess I'll refrain from getting into lost in the woods. Well, what, but. what about when, what, what about when, you know, we build out like Obama bailed out the automotive industry. Right. Right. Which, yeah. which was great for the state we live in. That was, I mean, it mm -hmm. would have been, it would have been, I mean, Hundreds of thousands of people would have lost their jobs if right. if we would just let, would have let it run its course and let and really let capitalism like we we intervened with right. capitalism 
and said, hey, the market's not responding to your goods anymore. Right. Well, the government needs to do something to, to, because we know we only have three or four car makers in the country that are at, worth anything and they employ right. hundreds of thousands of people. So, yep. but no one, like very few people were, I mean, some people were upset, but a lot of people that I know weren't. They're like, oh, thank God. Right. You know? Yeah. And I think, you know, that is another example that just doesn't show up on people's radars because it doesn't involve this uh, group of others. We've otherized the people that theoretically will be benefiting by us pooling our resources and suddenly there's a bunch of takers and a, and then a bunch of givers. And it's just absurd. Um, most of those people who are worried about, you know, helping other people out, I'm like, look, think about how much money you have in the bank right now. Don't tell me, just think about it. And $40 million. How, how, many, commas, how many commas were in this room? <laughs> so how, how many months? This of, is why we're against socialism yeah, because we're billionaires. Uh, Cause we have more money than, Anybody. How many months of economic hardship and not earning money would it take to get that number to zero? Now let's imagine how many months it would take of absolute gangbang. Yeah, oh boy, edit that out. Gangbusters. Well, <laughs> gangbusters financial. How many months of gangbanging would it take? Gangbanging success financially <laughs> um, would it take to you to get you to be a millionaire? And it's probably just not going to happen in your lifetime. So you are the poor. You are the person that we're talking about helping. Um, well, so let's, let's actually, forget about socialism as a problem. It's too hard for us to even talk about what any of us mean by it. Um, and if we did want to know what we mean by it, we could use the internet. And just most people don't because they're not actually interested in what we mean by it or what history means. Um, they're actually just worried about something that is extreme in comparison to what we have. And the problem is this extreme hypothetical future of socialism causes us to focus on that instead of the fact that our current system is actually extreme. And Hold on, I want to go, inhumane. I want to go back to what you just said, because I think that you just hit on another big fear of socialism. And that is that with capitalism or like unchecked capitalism, a lot of the burden of the economy falls onto the middle class and yeah. to support that. And that's why we pay really high. We have to pay really high taxes and we have to pay out of pocket for a lot of things right? in order to keep us afloat where we're at, to have good credit, to keep the house you have, to send your kids to a good school. You, it costs you in a lot of ways. And I think yeah. that a lot of the middle class has trouble imagining a situation where we would change the law, the tax law, and it actually would benefit the middle class. Yeah. I think they have a lot of trouble imagining that, like drastically benefit. And yeah. socioeconomic statuses below the middle class, lower class. And, and, and then we're asking the people who really could be affected by a change like that or I'm sorry, unaffected by a change like that, mm -hmm. their lifestyle really wouldn't change to help. For sure. And, and I don't understand why that is so terrifying. Yeah. And here's another I, example of zooming in on one factor in a complex equation and pretending that it represents the whole equation. When you look at tax brackets, you're like, all right, well, this super wealthy guy, Jeff Bezos or something, um, he's in a tax bracket where he has to pay this rate, but that's only one aspect of the equation. There's also all these loopholes 
that allow him to effectively pay a smaller portion of his income than his secretary does, right? Yeah. Who's in a wildly different tax bracket. That doesn't make sense. Okay. So what we're, here's, here's where I want to talk to my conservative friends and family and your listeners is we have these shared values. Um, The point of contact between progressives and conservatives uh, is pretty tremendous. what we have is our shared values in terms of outcomes, okay? We do want our kids to be educated. We don't want our friends and family to die from preventable diseases or be financially ruined if they have to go to the doctor. Um, we all agree on that. We want right. good outcomes. The disagreement is about how to secure those outcomes. And that's why this is ultimately a conversation about policies. Um, the disagreement that exists uh, to the extent that this is even a rational disagreement, which it often is not, is about the reasons for different policy options. Okay. So if I were to step back and ask people, hey, ask yourself, do you have a reason for your positions? Um, don't we want to take care of each other? Um, and to the extent that we disagree on those reasons, um, why are we resisting policy change that would get us to our shared outcomes, the preferred outcomes that we all agree on? Um, And then on top of that, another thing I had written in that post that we've talked about is that you you guys familiar with Ayn Rand? She wrote Atlas Mm -hmm. Shrugged, Fountainhead. Uh, So she really... uh, Our friend David Podolsky hates Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand. The guy, the, David, who's been on the podcast a few times that listeners will know. Uh, it's just funny because he always, he always drags on her to me. Yeah, well, I anyway. think she's a sociopath. Yeah. <laughs> I, really, I truly do. And I say that because what she champions is a form of socioeconomic brutalism where you just have to take care of you. I got mine. Fuck the rest of you. Um, I hope you get yours, but I have no responsibility to anyone else but myself. But that's a lot of people's view. Right. And it is Outside of utterly church. incompatible with the gospel. It, utterly it's incompatible, incompatible with the gospel and it doesn't work because you need other people to be healthy. You yourself cannot do all the things that it takes to live in this world right. to be healthy. You can't. You literally cannot do it. Right. Like if if I had to make my own light bulb, I wouldn't be able to. Right. Or I heal need somebody from else. every disease. Yeah. Exactly. I couldn't do any of those things. I mean, we don't even grow our own food anymore. So it doesn't even make sense to say, I don't care if you get yours. You must care if they get theirs. You can't survive in this world unless you start like learning how Mm -hmm. and purchasing land, like land in an area where you can grow things and live off of it and has water and all the things that you would need. You can't. You need everybody. It doesn't even make sense. It's not possible. I I mean, I really think that the social ethic championed by Jesus, uh, which is him saying love your neighbor as yourself and let me define neighbor as literally everyone that's alive Mm -hmm. yeah there's no exceptions there's no you know other that is going to be a scapegoat or who's an exemption from this rule no everyone's your neighbor take care of your neighbor um a majority of the people who object to expanding and improving social programs that we already have and by the way no one's talking about adding ones that don't already exist in our country. The reason that they object to it is, you know, the socialism's all purpose red herring, but also um, 
an Ayn Randian uh, rugged individualism uh, that they insist on maintaining even for themselves that and for in voting for policies that would have been more humane and uh, taken care of a greater number of people, including them, they would rather opt for rugged individualism and keep themselves exposed financially so that if one unexpected bill comes up or there's a medical emergency, they're going to go broke too. They're going to be ruined. And for what? Because you don't want handouts or you don't want to give handouts. That's not how we should think about this. These are our fellows. These are our neighbors that we're talking about caring for. Yeah. Um, I think the school example is the perfect example, right? Like even in a public school, you need volunteers, you need parents to come in and be participants. Like it takes more than anybody could just give a certain dollar amount to, right? Like you can't Mm -hmm. just do it yourself. That's a great example of how there are these just community-based functions that we have to figure out a way to work together and for everybody to move ahead. Yeah. Not just some people. And we have to do that in our schools. And it is literally the perfect example. I love that example that you guys both have talked about. It's so great, I think. Yeah. And if, if these kinds of social goods you welcome when it, they are being uh, distributed to your friends and family, on what grounds do you deny them to people you don't know, who you've made a lot of assumptions about? Um, and here's, for conservative listeners, here is kind of what a progressive uh, hears when a conservative is maintaining that we should keep this current system, which is brutal in place. It's it's really not clear what position that they hold when I look at what they're willing to allow. If you're willing to allow the brutal outcomes that we currently have and even defend them and reinforce them, you're voting and arguing as if you regard the moral evil that you verbally oppose is so terrible. This this hypothetical socialism scare. It's mm-hmm. so terrible that it transcends uh any conversation we could have about caring for each other, um, I kind of am like, I don't know what you're about, but you seem like a monster. If you are arguing that we keep the highest rates of childhood poverty in the developed world and that we should maintain that, I don't even know where we can go from here. Um, but again, I think most of the effort on part of people who would argue in that way who would say, let's keep things the way they are, and any change would be somehow worse than what we have. Um, It's fear-based. If you were, if those people were to actually, in a good faith exchange, listen, understand definitions, and be open, because what I'm saying right now, it's not scary. Like, I don't want to be socialist any more than you do, but I want to take care of everyone, and we have some great social goods, Medicare, public school, roads, etc., um, that we all agree are good um, on what grounds and, and through what rational argument can we say that extending them and improving them, making them more efficient is not good. Um, the only reason to short circuit and basically sabotage that conversation the way that your professor did years ago, Adam, is because you don't want to have the conversation. It's a way to just end it. 
So that, that is something I think it's important to just say, you know what? I am inviting you into a safe conversation. Our, what we both want for our friends and family is the same because we're not moral monsters. We both agree that we have existing social goods and that those are good and don't make us socialist. So I'm just talking about making them better and applying them to a greater number of people. Um, and, and those people would include you and your family um, and everyone you love. Um, what exactly are you afraid of? Um, what hyperbolic, totally unrealistic social collapse that are, are you really afraid of? And what is the likelihood of any of that? Where you're, you're not even talking about social programs or socialism at all. You're just showing me that your amygdala is guiding your thinking. You're just knee-jerk fear. Um, you're triggered. And How can we... I have a question for both you guys, and I want to yeah. hear like both your input on this. A lot of the fear, I think, too, comes from having conversations like these and realizing maybe that you can't defend your position and then being in a position yourself where you're like, now what am I supposed to do? Now what am mm-hmm. I supposed to say? Because now I've been believed I've believed this my whole life and I feel like I can't defend it. And a lot of people then go further down the rabbit hole or get even a little hostile because it's they're feeling confronted, but also it's a scary place to be where you are like, maybe I'm not sure this makes sense anymore, but I'm not ready to say that yet. Like this is, this is really difficult for somebody to, who has like been opposed to these ideas to just be like, you know what, Jason, everything you've said makes sense. And I'm switching. I'm, you know, like I'm on your side now that that almost never happens. It happens over a period of time. Like we were all three of us here were raised very conservatively. We didn't wake up one day and switch because of something somebody said to us. That was a scary process for us to challenge the thinking that we had known to be true. How can we have these conversations and have a safe space? That, I think, is something that I find really challenging. It's like... For sure. What do you guys think? What do you think, Adam? And then... Like, how do we do this? <sighs> I mean, I could, I would answer this question differently like three or four years ago, I think. I, I, I don't have a good, Jason's probably got a better answer than I do, but like I, I was on, I was on a social media website the other day and I saw someone in the same breath be really thankful for the farmer bailout because they were affected by it. The, this, this most recent one that Trump's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, because of Trump's policies to China is resulting in farmers not being able to sell their goods or having, right. or also a lack of workers because they don't have the migrant workers they've had before. They're yeah. literally just plowing down crops. Yeah. Right. Um, being thankful for the bailout. But then in the same breath, like two posts later said, I'm not the biggest Trump fan, but Bernie scares the hell out of me and I'd vote for Trump because I don't want socialism. Right. Yeah. And so when I when I read something like and I know that's one example, but when I read something like that, I really struggle with cuz that that's the whole thing we're talking about today is like mm-hmm. this isn't what you think it is, 
but you're not willing to take the step to educate, to understand what we're really talking about. You're happy to go to these buzzwords and live in further polarized, already extremely, uh, horribly polarized society. And so um, if there is, I think if there's someone does question it, then maybe it makes sense to like find source, find sources you can read, not watch. That would be my thing. Always read your information. Don't t have somebody tell you what it is, but go find it yourself and read it. That's been helpful for me because at the end of the day, all news and all cable programs are trying to sell commercials and stuff. And uh, at least newspapers have more. I think they have a little bit more his, uh, journalistic integrity. But um, I don't know. I think that for me, it's like try to read your news and really do, and really don't go into it looking for it to affirm what you believe. But for me, I had to go into it with an open hand, not a clenched fist and say, OK, I've got some questions here. I don't really understand this or I don't know if what I was told is true, or these my brain is telling me something different than my heart is telling me. Yeah. And so why is that? And that's where I found my biggest growth, when I would go with what my heart slash gut was telling me and try to explore it that way and not say, your brain, your brain is, a, is science, man. You got these brain waves that are, that are literally fused together that are hard yeah. to change, yeah. and you have to do hard work to do that. Uh, my answer, uh, I like what you just said, and my answer would also include that I think uh, a big part of being a person is forming some kind of social identity, a way that helps you understand yourself, uh, a group of people that you belong to and you're part of. And a lot of times this involves antagonism towards other groups, outgroups, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. otherize them. A lot of times people who say, I am a conservative or I'm a Democrat or I'm a Muslim or I'm a evangelical, they would be hard pressed to define any of those things. It's just that what they're really saying is, this is the group I'm part of. These are my people. This is who I affiliate with and it helps me understand who I am. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think the same is true with the progressive and conservative fake divide, because my values, my core values really have not shifted at all since I was an evangelical pastor and seminarian. Mm -hmm. I still think that we should take care of our neighbors, that we should love each other, and that there is no one that exists who is not my neighbor. And I should think of them and want the same for them that I want for my kids or my other, yeah. anyone right. else that I love. So what, the only thing that I would count as a valid objection to extending existing social programs would be a model or an argument that shows me that it would be disastrous. Uh, there's a lot of policy options for implementing things like universal health care. So if your argument is that no, uh, none of those options would work, um, then I want to hear that. But I don't want you to just throw a Molotov cocktail uh, of saying, oh, I label that socialism. So again, this is a way of otherizing. When you slap socialism willy-nilly on people, institutions, movements, candidates, I would invite you to ask yourself, do you even understand what that term means? Why is it that you're so intimidated by this other group? Do you know what their positions actually are? Because if you did, I, I think if I just sat down with your average conservative person and didn't tell them I'm from LA or I'm a progressive I just said, how do you think we should treat each other? How do you feel about the social programs we currently have? What if we made them better and more efficient? What if, you know, 
we extended it to a few more people. Um, I usually get very little pushback. Like, yeah, see, we have shared values. It's when we start talking about concrete policy solutions that they have been really conditioned on both sides. Everyone's been conditioned to regurgitate talking points or come up with objections that they don't actually understand and don't really mean anything. It's just a way of asserting a tribal identity and trying to argue in a really inarticulate way. Other tribes are worse and dumb and my tribe's awesome and the best. Um, that gets totally in the way of meaningful productive exchanges about how we should organize ourselves socially and take care of each other. And that's why I'm against these labels of even progressive conservative. Uh, this isn't useful. Let's let's yeah. if you step out of that identity where you're trying to defend the group you think you're a part of and you're you're not talk you're not feeling threatened in your identity, then it turns out what we all want and how we want to treat each other uh, is pretty damn similar. Uh, and really, the burden of proof is on the person who says, oh, man, expanding the existing social programs we have, it, it would be a disaster. Okay, well, that's a pretty serious claim. You're the one making it. The onus is on you. The burden of proof is on you. Why? Yeah. Why should I believe that and agree with you so that we avoid? Well, what, some, me, would say, like, some would say it's going to cost. It's going to not to cut you off, but some would say, well, it's going to cost, you know, yesterday, Bernie said 30 trillion just for Medicaid alone. Or Medi but Medicare again, for all loans. Sorry, Medicare. So that, but how that, much that, does our current system cost? Way more the, than yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Back to my uh, metaphor of you guys being told that your mortgage has been cut in half and you responding with, how are we going to pay for that? Right. It's less. Uh, okay, $30 trillion sounds like a scary, crazy number. But it is it pales in comparison to what we currently spend collectively and individually on our shit healthcare system. If we can get way better healthcare outcomes with way less money, who in their right mind argues against that? Well, it's, what would you say to people that say, well, people fly here from social, so Medicare for all countries to get operations done. Why is that? If our, if our healthcare is so shit, why? Yeah, and I'm, I'm asking these questions. This, this is what I hear. For sure. Yeah. So, for sure. Why are people coming here from Canada, from England, from, you know, Russia, China to get operations done? Why is that happening? Yeah. It's only the extremely wealthy who are doing that. Okay, so if there's a plastic surgeon or a I was just going to say it's probably plastic surgery, uh, <laughs> and you want to go be treated by the best surgeon yeah. or physician in a particular field, and money is no barrier to that kind of access, then I you do that. Um, in theory, I have the same access to buying a Lamborghini that Jeff Bezos does, in that there's no legal barrier preventing me from doing that but it's not a meaningful thing to talk about because i don't have the money to buy one in the same way saying well anybody can you know have the health care that i have it they have the access to it they could fly here and pay a lot of money to this world-class surgeon well that's not a meaningful option because they do not have the money to finance well, it so but i think the argument is that but those people are here they're not elsewhere and if and if we had a non-privatized healthcare system, wouldn't mm -hmm. that result in just a poor, uh, a less motivated, uh, less motivated physicians to be really, really great because mm -hmm. they're not trying to? Earn, I mean, they're going to make the same amount of money basically either way. Right. So this is an argument 
um, from limited kind of hypothetical scenarios where wealthy people are flying in for healthcare here, but I know way more people in my own experience who have flown to Mexico for dental care or a, a life-saving surgery because it's actually affordable and won't ruin their life. Yeah. Uh, even if the care is and as good or a little bit worse. Not to mention um, if it's the wealthy who are doing this, a lot of times we're getting denied the care that we need and we can't afford it. They're, they're beating us in every aspect yeah. where we can't compare ourselves to them. They can go wherever they want to do whatever they want because they're extremely wealthy. Whereas like we talked about earlier, people with cancer are, are filing bankruptcy and then they can't even get the care that they need mm -hmm. because they can no longer pay for it. So it's like, what are you really comparing yourselves to? You're, you're comparing, we're comparing ourselves to just trying to be able to pay for like basic care to people who could do literally whatever they want. They can go right. anywhere to get anything. We can't yeah. compare ourselves to but that. There's a far greater influx of people into Canada or into Mexico for affordable surgery or uh, medication then there are people from other countries coming into the U.S. for world-class surgery or something. I, it's I just read, there's no comparison. There was a story last week that I read where this 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 uh, company it was cheaper for them. This insurance company, I think yeah, it was. I, I they were. Did you hear this? They were yeah. flying. They're getting people on a plane in Denver, flying them to San Diego, busing them to Tijuana to get drugs that were like six dollars that were like six thousand dollars here. Yeah. And, then, and then and it was cheaper it for them to do all them that. Money. Yeah. It saved the money to do that whole process. Yeah. That was their that was what they did. That is an indefensible predatory yeah. system. You're right. You're right. And the the solutions to it that I'm talking about that would get us to the same outcomes that we all agree would be better, these are simple moral and political solutions that are being dishonestly made to seem like these awful quagmires that are totally undoable, inscrutable and, and the point is not the point of the people who are mislabeling simple, straightforward, moral and political solutions and saying, oh, it's 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 evil or it's undoable. Uh, the whole point is to sabotage the conversation, just like your professor did. Throw out some things. Uh, it's there's just too much work that would have to be done to meaningfully respond to the accusation. And so now we're not even talking about the first thing we were originally talking about. We're yeah. talking about a bunch of horse shit that's confusing to everyone. You've sabotaged the conversation rather than meaningfully participating in it because you're not really interested in finding solutions or you have some awareness and some level of your mind that if you did honestly in good faith interact and participate in their conversation, that your views would be very quickly exposed as inhumane, unchristlike, and unsustainable and you're instead advocating for just brutalism we can't keep doing this and this is i think why you are seeing a movement of people rebelling um the people who voted for trump i have to think that a good number of them just wanted to blow up the system that we currently have because it's so awful and brutal and doesn't work for anybody but the very wealthy um and they, I think that I would argue that they got behind the wrong person. Yeah, he did blow up the system, but made it exponentially worse and more brutal. Um, because he comes from the the category of people 
who pull the levers and profit uh, from all of this and who it's in their interest to squash the masses and keep them unhealthy, keep them sick. Uh, it's very hard to be checked by and corrected by an electorate who is so like one step away from financial ruin, who is uneducated because our system makes that unaffordable as well. Um, there are so many motives for maintaining the system that we currently have if you put yourself in the position of the 1% and give no regard to uh, what Jesus called us to do and how we should live and move and have our being and instead just care about profit. Uh, then you're making the oligarchs argument for them, even though it doesn't make sense and you don't understand it and can't really defend it. Mm-hmm. Um, we all want the same thing. That's my point. And, and, yeah. I'm not, and the people who, you know, got behind Trump because they wanted a new system. Um, in that respect only, would I say that uh, certain progressive moments uh, or movements behind, for example, Bernie Sanders, they are only like Trump supporters uh, in that they want to change the current system. So what I'm saying is you, Bernie supporters and Trump supporters might seem on the surface like the most diametrically opposed, different, incompatible groups that you could think of. But at the end of the day, the reason that they are looking for an alternative is because we all agree this system fucking blows and is <laughs> destroying all of our financial futures. Uh, I don't, I've never owned a house, uh, partly because I live in the most expensive housing market in the U.S., but also because, again, I'm bleeding $20,000 a year at least just, just for healthcare, And that mm-hmm. has, that's not even to say how much I have to pay to educate my kids. Even one of my kids who goes to a public school, there are infinite fundraisers and mm-hmm. begging and borrowing and stealing from the parents of that school because the budget doesn't cover anything. And right. is yeah. being continually slashed well, by... It- it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. Betsy DeVos, pride of Grand Rapids. Uh, it doesn't make any sense though that like a, like I saw this other day, a baby was born with a really really rare eye condition, and she has to have this. She literally has to have the surgery, and her parents the day of the surgery were still trying to get their GoFundMe. They were like doing everything they could to get their GoFundMe marketed because they yep. just didn't have the money to pay for it. And to me. It's just like when you look at it on its head, like as it is, it doesn't make any sense that. And and um, 90% of GoFundMe campaigns fail. Well, and and why, why is it that our, our healthcare system is set up that you have a job that offers you healthcare? Like that's how it's set up. It's set up, it's set up based on the business owner, AKA the three of us to, to provide healthcare to people. The only reason we have healthcare is because we took the Trump, Trump tax cuts and we put that towards healthcare. That's what we did. And we wouldn't have it probably. I don't know that we would. Maybe it was always a goal for us. But like you have to to attract talent as a business, you have to offer healthcare. Yeah. And it doesn't make sense that that's the way it's set up because we're paying for the healthcare, right? On top of the small business tax, on top of all the payroll taxes, right? It doesn't make sense, right? And all the arguments about the small business owner and wanting to help them rings really hollow when arguing in favor of our current system absolutely fucks small business owners yes mm-hmm. and uh, in the same way that you just said to be competitive and attract any kind of talent you have to offer health care the the other side of that coin is 
how many people are stuck in jobs they hate and the only reason that they don't quit and go do something that they would like to do, like continue their yeah. education or start their own business, um, be an entrepreneur, is that they are terrified of not having health care and yes. just being exposed. Benefits, and totally. So what I would predict is if we all said, hey, we have the shared values, we want to take care of ourselves, we all agree this current system sucks, um, then let's actually have a conversation about how to improve it because I would predict there would be an explosion of entrepreneurialism and creativity because people wouldn't stay in dead-end jobs just because of the fear of not having health care. They would have it and they'd be like, oh, yeah. now I get to go do what I care about. Mm-hmm. Um, we are preventing countless businesses from forming, preventing countless educations from happening. How many medical breakthroughs, um, scientific breakthroughs, um, artistic breakthroughs would would we have if the people who would be doing them just had the freedom to pursue that instead of becoming wage slaves and living in fear of of losing healthcare. It's just Um, indefensible system. Yeah. I wish that all the listeners could see what Jason's doing right now. He (laughs) has his, his he has his thumbs on his cheeks and his fingers on his forehead and he's squeezing. He's popping his eyeballs. (laughs) You guys, the man is stressed. Yeah. Oh yeah. We need to elect somebody else. And on that note, I think we will uh, stop for this week and continue the conversation here in a couple days. We're going to launch another episode here on Wednesday or Thursday of this week. Uh, So keep your eyes out for that. Your ears out, shall I say. Uh, But thanks to Jason for joining us. I thought this was a really good conversation around um, not just socialism, but the idea and the notion that conservatives and liberals and progressives are closer than they think, potentially, if we can have honest, open dialogue um, with reasonable expectations. So we'll finish the conversation. You don't want to miss it. Uh, it gets very, very, very emotional, I'll say. And uh, we learn a lot in the upcoming um, in the upcoming podcast. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Thanks so much again for listening. Uh, we wouldn't be anything without you. And we appreciate uh, all your support. Thank you.